Welcome back to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. So first off, we have a new look. We've redesigned our Instagram page. So follow us on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod. And I got to say, I mean, this stuff looks, (laughs) let's just say it's good to have taste. Anyway, next, second, we're shutting down our Facebook page. I know, Facebook. So 2023. So we're moving that content to the Not In My Color Facebook page. Third, we're changing the subscription model of the pod. The pod has three distinct categories of audio content. The weekly podcast, where we break down the previous week's politics of pop culture. Misogynists of the week, where we choose one person in pop culture whose misogyny knows no bounds and unwrap deeper issues. And bad and bitchy briefings, an intersectional deep dive and nuanced discussion with a guest about topical trends. There are two pieces of content a week, the regular pod or a bad and bitchy briefings, usually out on Tuesdays, and misogynists of the week, out on Fridays. Now, I know you all love it, misogynists of the week, so that's what we're paywalling. <laughs> I know, cold. So, and we're also paywalling special interviews, like the one we did with, um, with, um, um, Mona El-Tahawi, who wrote uh, The Seven Deadly Sins for Women and Girls. And we had a great, like, log to our discussion about, that was very intersectional feminist. So, that one, paywalled. If we have a guest to come on, like if Mona, say, came on to do a bad and bitchy briefing, not paywalled. Okay. So, we're keeping the regular episodes and the bad and bitchy briefings separate and free. So, sign up for the bad and bitchy podcast at www.badandbitchy.com. Now, there's a domain issue where if you put in badandbitchy.com, you'll get um, an uh, an error message. So we're trying to figure we're trying to fix that. Um, we'll let you know when it's fixed, but you have to put www in front of it. I apologize. Fourth, and um, I think this is the most important thing. Uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback from y'all and you all, I appreciate the feedback. Um, I really want us to have kind of a two-way conversation and I'm glad you guys feel so comfortable with um, sharing what you think. I, I really do appreciate it. Everybody was very respectful and very like, I love this about the podcast. I love that about the podcast. So you all are asking me what has happened to the podcast in this year. So first of all, this is an intersectional podcast. We break down topics with an intersectional lens. Sometimes you can't um, do everything, but I believe that to properly do intersectional investigations, race, class, and gender are the base. So when we break down topics, we're going to keep those three things in mind. Um, I understand that you're used to Aaron and I agreeing with each other and both of us dissecting these topics intersectionally and that you love that there's a space where that happens. And it will always be that space because I'm here. However, my purpose is to expand policy and political analysis to be intersectional in our institutions with people who make decisions, etc. And unfortunately, to be fair, those people are mostly centrists. Now, I talk about centrists all the time, not my favorite, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, everybody's something, and my 
interest is in expanding this analysis to those people. So I brought on somebody, a co-host, who represents the values and the spirit of the pod while being more centrist than I am. She's smart and sharp and a feminist who's very good at dissecting misogyny. And I hope you give us the space and the time to figure out our rhythm of and the shape of this art, as well as kind of science, to make this work. We can't keep talking to ourselves and then wonder why nobody understands us and nothing changes. And like, I love you all, but I don't need to be told, I don't need people to agree with me all the time. I need to actually build a case. So that's what I'm working towards. I want change, but I want to do it out of radical love and build community. And that's my purpose. And, you know, I do still appreciate your feedback, but I just wanted to make it clear what my purpose is, what I see, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, lastly and fifth, there will be no misogynist of the week this, this Friday as I will be on my way to Alberta for the provincial election. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. So thank you for staying with us on our break. Um, Lord knows I needed a break. And, you know, we wanted to um, rejig a little bit, as I explained in the intro, and reintroduce Kristen Rayworth, our co-host, and Sam Brooks, our new producer. So re-welcome to both of you. Thank you. What's up, folks? All right. So let's just get into it. Um. The Alberta election. Kristen, you reside in the provincial capital of Edmonton, my hometown. Shout out Ross Shep, just saying. I live down the street from Ross Shep. Do you really? I do. I live in uh, Inglewood. Can I just... Oh, yeah. Can I just say that anytime you say Inglewood, I always want to quote Tupac Shakur from California Love. Inglewood, always up to no good. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So, Kristen, what's this election about? Ironically, um, not a lot. Um, it's it's really the big focus has been on been on leadership and who you can trust, whether that is Daniel Smith or Rachel Notley. However, when you look at the policies put forward by both parties, there's not a lot of space between them. I mean, Rachel Notley brought in an old school Stephen Harper tax cut. When you look at what they are both talking about around daycare, it's pretty much exactly the same. When you look at a lot of their policies, when it comes to sexual violence, domestic violence, they're pretty much exactly the same. Uh, There has been very little movement on issues that are things that, for example, like climate change, that has not even been a topic in the election. So... Really? Even with the wildfires? Yes, even with the fact that today I couldn't take my dog outside because it is too smoky for her to be outside for longer than 10 minutes. Climate change has not been a topic. Um, So for those who don't know, um, there are wildfires raging in, I believe... It's in northern Alberta. Western Alberta? Northern and northwestern Alberta for the most part, yeah. Northern and Northwestern, but I saw there's some by Calgary too, like West. Yeah, Calgary. there are. Yeah. So it's basically all it's, it's, you know, I mean, the, the primary ones have been kind of in the Drayton Valley. Uh, there were some in Leduc and Beaumont. There were some in Short Park. Uh, they're going all the way up into the Métis settlements in the Northern part of Alberta. And so there's like right now um, for the last couple of days, we've woken up to air quality of, I think it's 11 which is like the highest risk you can possibly be. There was ash on my car yesterday. Like it is, it is really bad here right now. And how many 
people have been affected by this? Uh, I, off the top of my head, I don't know the exact amount, but there's been just give us there's been about like five to six hundred people, I believe, that have come into the expo center in Edmonton who have been evacuated. Some have been able to go mm-hmm. back home. Some are still there. Um, when you're talking about up north into the small, smaller kind of Métis settlements, like I said, or the First Nations communities, it's hard to get a real determination, but it has impacted a large swath of the province. And in terms of the air quality, both in Calgary and Edmonton, so that's like millions of people, it has impacted our ability to even be outside. So why has climate change then been absent from the discussion? Um, the reason it's been absent from the discussion is the fact that uh, the Notley opposition, and I say that because it's extremely important to understand that the NDP have become a centrist party under Rachel Notley. They do not represent the NDP party, for example, of the federal party, despite how many times Daniel Smith wants to say Jagmeet Singh is Rachel Notley's boss. Rachel Notley has drugged, dragging and screaming the NDP to the center. So what they need to win in Calgary and to appeal to rural Alberta is to look like they're oil and gas friendly. They are not putting forward policies that will potentially damage that industry. So they have very purposely avoided that conversation and have done so from the beginning. I see. And of course, uh, UCP is happy to ignore that. Discussion. They, they will speak to uh, some of the policies that they've brought in, like large emissions, uh, t- taxes on large emissions from large companies, the tier program. Like there are things that the UCP have done since they came into power mm-hmm. that have had impacts and positive impacts on the environment. But no, it's not a policy mm-hmm. they're going to go to uh, because they're going to mm-hmm. drape themselves while they're doing it significantly less than Jason Kenney did. They will also drape themselves in that I love oil and gas uh, model. But again, they they have not campaigned hard on that either. Like when Jason Kenney came in, it was job economy pipelines. That was the motto that he ran on for the entire election in 2019. You do not hear that kind of same rhetoric around oil and gas from the UCP now that you did in 2019. And why do you think that is? In part because Rachel Notley's the one who got us a pipeline, so they probably don't want people to talk about that. <laughs> so that, that I mean, Rachel Notley and Fair Justin enough. Trudeau. But then the, the second <laughs> part is that they, they acknowledge that they need moderates. Jason Kenney had an easier time bringing moderates into the fold than Danielle Smith is having. So I think that that is part of their, their strategic approach is to not go like hardcore and watch wearing their I love oil and gas shirts and hugging oil executives. They're just having that be kind of understood in the background as opposed to being a main part of their campaign. And why is Danielle Smith having trouble bringing in moderates? Uh, Well, I mean, where do you want me to start? Like it's, you know, it's Sunday. So, I mean, by the time this airs, Okay, pick out pick out some pick out the greatest hits. So I do want to stress first of all because I think that this is important. There are so many of us that are terminally online, which includes both of us, that there are things that become an issue on Twitter and online that do not resonate at the doors. I would say that half, if not more, of the stuff that Daniel Smith has been fielding in the last couple weeks people at the doors don't even know about if they're not on social media they don't know about they don't care about it's not gonna it's not gonna affect their vote for folks who are online part of it has been i mean she she compared people who are vaccinated to hitler or said sorry that they would support hitler which i mean you should probably never bring up hitler in an election campaign unless hitler's actually directly involved she she said that police officers who did their jobs during the COVID restrictions and arrested people who were in contrary to the Health Act should potentially be arrested. Oh, really? What happened to tough right? on crime? Like, way to go with your, your pro-police platform there, buddy. <laughs> um, so there's that. Uh, she had one candidate who, who she has now said will not sit in caucus who came who came out who came out had compared trans children to to 
pieces of feces in um, cookie batter. What? What? Wait. Oh, did what? you not? Did you I'm not sorry. know this? No. Listen, I don't. I saw. I where? Okay. All right. So let me just give your everybody a some little back track on this. So, um, as listeners might be aware, and if they are not, um, I'm very happy for you because you live in a better world than I do. There <laughs> is a um, right wing attack on transgender people, especially transgender youth, which has been ongoing and it comes out of the United States. It has been especially intense in the last year, especially around gender affirming care, around all sorts of different health issues as it relates to transgender children. So one of these things includes this conspiracy theory, which is not correct, the teachers are teaching children pornography or they are making children um, basically encouraging them to become trans because they have nothing better to do with their time. There is also another conspiracy theory, which has been proven wrong and wrong again and again and again, that there are um, litter boxes in schools for children who identify as cats. This is a conspiracy. I saw that. I saw that online once. Yeah. So this conspiracy, I literally saw a lawmaker in America get up and tell yeah, and this, it's always like, based with his old chest. Old, yeah, and I was like, "What am I watching?" It's always based on I heard from a friend of a friend, a friend who knew. So anyway, so a couple, of, I don't even know. Time means nothing in Alberta anymore. But a month and a half ago, maybe a little bit more, there was a candidate in Lethbridge who it came forward had had said extremely transphobic things, basically saying that teachers were sexualizing children and making them transgender and repeating a lot of the same kind of garbage you would hear on when he still had a job, (laughs) Tucker Carlson and Fox News. She was disqualified as a candidate for the UCP at that point. Move forward to a month later, we have moved past the time where you are able to disqualify a candidate. So at this point, as per election Alberta rules, you cannot disqualify someone. If you're on the ballot, you're on the ballot on election day. So, so then it gotcha. comes out that this lunatic nonsense person from Pinocchio Lacombe, which for people who are outside of Alberta is a is a like easy UCP win. You could run you could run like a cardboard cutout of Che Guevara. Girl, it's Lacombe. Yeah. Uh Pinocchio Lacombe, thank you. Not just Lacombe. And it's like Okay, this is a little inside baseball, the little exchange that Kristen and I just had. But if you know anything about Alberta, you know it's Lacombe. Okay, that's all you need to know. It's like... They do have a really good restaurant. It's not like Cornwall, but like... No, it's worse than Cornwall. It's it's basically like Lacombe is... It's growing and it is shifting and changing in terms of its dynamic. Like I said, it does have an... Maybe it is It has an incredibly great brunch place. Lacombe? Yeah. It's called Cilantro and Chive. They should should give us some money for me just saying that. But anyway, um, you could run a cardboard... Sponsorship. Sponsor sponsor a cilantro and shot. But anyway, you could basically run a cardboard cutout of Che Guevara as a UCP candidate and you would win there. <laughs> so this woman I would love to see Oh my god, that would it be It would awesome. be, right? It would be. <laughs> if you didn't tell people who he was, they would just think he was a really handsome gentleman. Um <laughs> so Eddie Hoodle <laughs> This woman was caught on tape talking about transgender children and in the recording she says um that it doesn't matter for example if a transgender children get child gets like 87 percent on a psych a a physics exam because it's still poop in the cookie batter and they represent poop in the cookie batter and they and then she talks about who has poop and cookie batter? This is my like. Why would that come to your <coughs> mind? Because are you eating co- like? Co- poop but then cookies? she also like, she continues to expand on, um, you know, uh, a lot of these tropes, which is the idea that you are uh, providing double mastectomies to children at fourteen, which we know is is incorrect. Like, you oh know, 
the QAnon. Yeah, and this, yeah. this, and I mean, you know, maybe one day we can have a broader conversation on this. But the reality is, is that these kind of the the treat like mastectomies and, and those kind of surgeries do not occur at 14, 15 years old. They that's just not correct. And you are not sexually mutilating, which is the term that the right uses quite frequently, children at this age or sterilizing them because the like ninety nine percent of the uh, sort of gender pills that they get at that age are completely reversible. So, so, so she says this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this was mm-hmm. one of the bigger things. Oh, you'll love this. A Calgary uh, MLA, uh, sorry, uh, Calgary nominee said that black children would rather be ghettoized than go to school. Okay, see, this is where I come in with the Nini Leaks um gif and say now why i'm why am i in this <laughs> like because i'm like wait, wait nobody colon nothing this woman well black children what let's uh let's uh move to indigenous children and indigenous issues what is what does that look like between the two candidates that really hasn't been parties? an issue it has not come up not, not at really. All? I mean, Danielle Smith has her own her own sordid history around residential schools, but it has not become the same kind of issue. And what history is that? So right? she has, uh, like a lot of people on the right, she has shared opinions in the past that has questioned um, the validity of a lot of the stories around residential schools in terms of the the, the impacts. Um, she's never directly like I think she's quoted things. I mean, keep in mind, like you know, she she loves Tom Hannigan, Flanagan, and Tom Flanagan is a huge oh. residential school denier. So she's she's kind of skirted around the edges of some of that conversation, but so she's doing like denial by proxy or like, but she's never it's it has sneak dis denial. It hasn't come up. <laughs> it has not come up in the entire election cycle. Indigenous issues have not come up at all. In fact, the only time that they have was when Rachel Notley actually praised UCP policy as it related to Indigenous issues in the debate. So let's talk about that debate, shall we? All right. So for those who do not know, did not watch or whatever. Live a better life than us. Last Yes, who are not chronically online and always on politics. Um, Last Thursday night um, was the Alberta leaders debate between United Conservative Party leader or UCP leader, Danielle Smith, and New Democratic Party leader, Randy P. leader, Rachel Notley. Now, Kristen, what were your overall impressions? Number one, before you start, I just want to make one thing clear. This debate was an hour flat, okay? And I said, thank you. Albertan efficiency shining through. Okay? It should have been longer. Just want to say it should have been longer because it, it was, or, or at least there, maybe there I, should have been. I think 90 minutes is not, good. Or, or at 90 least tw- like two. Like, because the, the problem is, is that, you know, you don't really have a lot of time to get into substantive issues. There were yeah. a lot of things that they didn't even touch on that I would have liked to have heard them talk about. Such Climate as? change. Yeah. Uh, oh, sounds like the Ontario issues, Which didn't get touched at all. Ontario debate, um, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, they talked about crime briefly because there was like a wild card session at the end where they were answering yeah. random questions that weren't on the main topics that the leaders had agreed to. Um. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice to hear more substantive policy questions. It also would have been nice to have, like, you know, and I, I, I have all the love in the world and all the time in the world for the moderators. I know most of them. They're great. But there wasn't as much pushback as I would have liked to have seen on certain things that got raised. So maybe with a two-hour format, there would have been more ability for that. I think that moderators in general in these things are a little too concerned with timekeeping and not enough with the truth well i mean i do want to give the readers some i don't i don't think it's like i don't think it's necessarily the moderator's fault 
all the time. I think the format is such that the way they structure it, you go, you know, except that in the morning before the debate. So just a few hours previous Uh to the debate, the ethics commissioner in Alberta came out with her report on Danielle Smith's interference with the justice system as it relates to Arthur Pavlovsky, who is a pastor who was arrested at Coates, who's been subsequently convicted of his role in co- in coots and while it said that she that Dan- uh, 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 let's let's just talk about coots alberta was the um concurrent sort of uh it was our alberta version blockade. of the convoy, yeah yeah the blockade during the convoy so while it found that danielle smith did not interfere specifically by contacting people within the justice system it did find mm-hmm. that she interfered by pressuring Tyler Shandro, who was the minister of justice at the time, to engage in this this case. So she ba- she basically did like an SNC Lavalin light, and <laughs> she wasn't pushed on it at all in the debate. Like they went on with the debate like that had not happened. And that did right. a huge disservice to people because there are a lot of people who do watch those debates who don't go on Twitter, who don't live their lives online, yeah. who maybe don't even know that right. that happened. And this is um, an example of how media has the power to shape and structure these things. The way information is shaped and structured sometimes affects the information that you yeah. get. Um, I will say this. Um, Danielle Smith looked normal, but Danielle Smith has a tendency to look normal, even when she's saying like fucked up things. Yeah. But the, the, the problem is for Notley is that the bar for Danielle Smith was be normal. Don't be insane. Make people feel like you are someone that like is reasonable and she met and exceeded that bar notley did not manage to get her um her hits through the way that i think she wanted to she had a couple really Mm -hmm. good lines but she just Mm -hmm. and you know as someone who is not predisposed to be a huge daniel smith supporter i did walk Mm -hmm. away from that debate being like well, goddamn it, Danielle Smith probably won that debate. Like, I don't think that Rachel Notley changed anybody's vote with her performance. No, but how much of this? How much of the debate goes to determining? If votes? I'm a if if I'm know. a conservative, if I'm a conservative, know. a moderate conservative who was like, I I want to vote UCP because, and whether or not this is fair or not, this is how a lot of people feel. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm scared about a Notley government. I'm scared about what it will do to our economy, about jobs, about taxation. But I don't trust Danielle, so I'm not fully sure if I'm there yet. Watching that debate mm. might bring them on side. I see. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, but here's the thing. Da- Danielle Smith kept saying these words. The system is working. And I'm not sure about that. Like, I'm not sure if you should say that in an affordability crisis. That was specific to the healthcare system is what she was. Yeah, but she kept saying it throughout the debate. Yep. Like, on various stuff. And I was just like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't like that. No, I mean. But that's me. But it's the same thing. Like, I find that what she's doing is actually hilariously very Trudeau-esque. Like, every time that I see people talk about... um, the affordability crisis nationwide or the issues with rent. Like, I mean, if you look at, as I'm sure you are aware in Ontario, what the rents are for even a single bedroom apartment, um, you'll see liberals be like, but we are at the lowest GDP to debt ratio, blah, 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 blah. They're always trying to, to minimize people's personal experiences with their own economic fragility. And I think there was a piece of that in the way that Danielle Smith was trying to say it is that, yes, Alberta actually has recovered better than a lot of provinces. But that doesn't that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that people's everyday lives are not still negatively impacted by inflation. Absolutely. And I think there 
and that that's not like front of mind yeah like today i went grocery shopping Mm. and you know i went to go get like chicken broth and chicken broth used to be like a dollar or like a dollar 29 it's like three bucks now and that doesn't sound like a lot for chicken yeah man and i got the like no name western family brand but yeah so i think that like it's it it denies the lived experience and i get that danielle smith wants to say like oh we've given people affordability and there was one question in the debate um that came from a a reader i don't know who it was but someone who put it up there which is basically what are you gonna do for those of us who are not married with children or who aren't seniors because there are a lot of us and we are not included within a lot of economic considerations. Listen, listen, I'm glad you brought this up. I thought you would be. Because, so one of the fastest growing voter contingencies, or constituencies, sorry, um, is single women educated living yeah they usually make a podcast (laughs) yes i love it okay so tell me about this this demo but there was no answer and there was no answer from either and no answer. not really like it was like oh we've done this we've done that we've done this and it's like well that's that's detailing all the things you've done that actually doesn't affect us and then there was like a comment about keeping the like uh the suspension on uh the gas tax and certain other things and nolly didn't really answer either and i think that it's just it's one of those things where like a lot of us who feel impacted by this do not feel represented on either side and there are a lot of issues where I think that a lot of folks do not feel represented on either side. So really, like I said at the beginning, will boil down to leadership. Who do you trust more? Who do you feel comfortable with? Who, who for you is someone that you, you, would, you would feel safe kind of handing your province to? And I think that's going to be a big, a big thing over the next week and a half. And for some people, it is going to be about that, or for some people, it's going to be about brand. And that's where Notley really has to push them from the brand concern to the leadership place, because if it moves to leadership, she'll win. If it stays on brand, you're not going to get a lot of old school conservatives voting NDP. And that's why I'm guessing she wore blue. Stupid. They looked like twins. It was so weird. And they were in this weird setup where it looked like they were in a broom closet. And like... (laughs) Yeah, man. No, no, no. No. It did look broom closet. It was... like I mean, yeah. You know what? She looked great in blue. Like, fine. Rachel Notley. You look very nice. But like... Look, Rachel Notley's hair took the night She did have great hair. I want to understand how she did that. And if she did it herself. She has pieces in there. You think so? I'm I'm convinced. But like... Yeah. I, I think that the under the other thing that is important to highlight is Notley has, like I said earlier, brought this party to the center and she firmed that up by wearing Tory blue at the debate, which she knew what she was doing. If Absolutely. I am an activist NDP base person, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. I'm not hearing mm-hmm. talk about climate change. I'm not hearing talk about the things that matter to me. I'm not talking about UBI, which which is another thing that a lot of people in the base care about. That's universal basic yeah, sorry. income. Um, so all of these different things, plus then she shows up wearing blue. Like, yeah, so I think that was a it statement. was, and so I think that there, are, I think that where she is potentially risking some danger is, I know a lot of people on the left who are just writing something and they're not voting NDP, but they're not voting UCP, obviously, but they just don't feel like they're represented in any way. So I think that that is another thing that maybe could hurt her. Maybe not. Like maybe she, she plays this game and it works out well for her. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there are a lot of act her activist base who are super pumped. No, no. 
no. And this is a gamble for the NDP because she wasn't this right the no, last she wasn't. time no. when no. you won. But she, she, right. she wasn't, but she was also, so, I mean, she was more, it was a lot easier then, right? Because then she'd never been in power. I mean, she'd never been the leader of more than four people. She could just say what she wanted to say. And like, she was very positive and happy. And she, it's very different when you're running as the former premier versus when you're running as the leader of the third party. So in other words, there are a lot of people who probably don't recognize the NDP that's uh, probably. Okay. Yeah. That blue was a statement. So was that hair, but that blue was a statement. And for those, what we're talking about is Rachel Notley wore a blue suit with a white insert. I don't know if it was a, a full shirt or a shell. And Danielle Smith wore all blue um, with, in other words, a blue suit with a blue insert. What, again, I don't know if it's a shell or, or a shirt. Now, here's the thing. This is what I found weird. It was the same damn blue. Yep. That's what it I'm was telling like you. They look like exactly twins. Exactly the same shade of blue. Yeah. That to me it was, was visually wild. distracting. Yeah. It was like Veronica and Betty both go to the Tory debates. <laughs> it was very Tory blue. <laughs> you know what I'm excited about though? What? Tonight's episode is Succession. Oh god, it's the penultimate episode. Exactly of the series. I don't want to think about that. I'm, I think I just, I'm very sad that it's going to end. Yes, yes, I know. But knowing network television and capitalism, there'll be a well. But you know what's somewhere. coming after? What? Um, do you are do you recall True Detective? I do. So there's a fourth season of True Detective that is premiering uh, in three weeks from today. Starring Jodie Foster. And it takes place in Alaska with a primarily indigenous cast and crew. And it's a murder after the, you know, how, like, obviously in certain parts of Alaska, like, the sun doesn't come up for 30 days. That's when it takes place. It looks really good. All right. All right. Well, I'll check it out. Give me some Jodie Foster solving crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because True Detective was getting... I know. So I feel like she's going to make it better because it's Jodie fucking Foster. Like... Legendary. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, Succession. Clarice. Uh, Succession yeah. is... Ugh. Okay. So let me recap the last episode. Yeah. And there, there's a reason we're talking about this. Okay. So on election night... The siblings are torn over the candidates. Roman supports Mencken. So Mencken is like a fascist in that like quotes the classics or something. As he will advance Waystar's agenda, including blocking the Gojo deal. While Kendall is uncomfortable with Mencken due to the blowback from his extreme politics affecting his daughter, Sophie. Now, Sophie is racialized. She's adopted. Mencken's followers attacked her, threatened her, something. So it's very much a personal issue for Kendall. And, of course, you know, this leads us to hope Kendall does the right thing, which, of course... Shiv, meanwhile, remains aligned with Matson, the Swede. Alexander Skarsgård, Swede. True blood, everybody. Okay. Um, Shiv finally tells Tom she is pregnant with his child, but Tom reacts skeptically. I would say Tom reacted terribly. I feel like Tom reacted fairly in a way because, I mean, in fairness, it's the Roy's. Like, I wouldn't blame him for being like, is this real? Like, are you serious? I suppose I just I think it just hit me I was just like 
like like that. I think that's what it was. Okay, so um, a vote center in Milwaukee is firebombed, destroying thousands of ballots that would likely have gone de- to Democratic candidate Daniel Him- Jimenez. Uh, Roman uses the situation to pressure Tom into having ATM prematurely call Wisconsin for Mencken, while Connor concedes to Mencken as well. Kendall ponders backing Jimenez for his family's sake, but learns from Greg that Shiv is double-crossing him and working with Madsen. Hurt by his sister's betrayal, he throws in his support for Mencken. Mencken wins the electoral vote in Arizona, so ATN calls the election in its favor. I feel like this is shades of 2000, the U.S. Ele- like 2000 election, and like shades of 2012, where like Fox erroneously called the election against Barack Obama. I- I first of all want to say that Jesse Armstrong, who is the creator of Succession and writer of many of the episodes, did such a brilliant job because in every episode leading up to that, your sympathy for Roman grows, right? Because you watch him struggle with his father's death. He gives that incredible speech when they go to Norway. You're just like, you're like, oh, Roman, you poor, sad little boy. And then he like turns around and says like, fascists are cool. It's fine. Like the show does such a good job of switching the way that you see people so quickly. Absolutely, and and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. if, if any of them are really their father, son, it's Roman. But I feel like Kendall is acting more like I think Roman is because Roman doesn't give a fuck. Like Kendall has moments of morality, whereas Roman is just like I'm yeah. going to do what I'm going to do to make sure that things are okay, and that's that. I think that Roman's instincts for the business are better than the other two. Um, I think that Kendall is trying to turn into his dad. And I think Shiv, Shiv is why when Roman said nothing fucking matters, I feel like I see that with Shiv because Shiv always has these politics from the left but she doesn't give a fuck no it's like i always hear i because so rupert murdoch has two sons there's lachlan and james i think yeah and james is more apparently more left-leaning and he's not he's not really involved with fox on a day-to-day basis lachlan is james is not and so like i feel like they kind of base shiv off of him a little, a little bit because yeah. I mean, everybody knows that that entire show yeah. is fucking based off of Rupert Murdoch. Um, yeah. But you still, you're still tainted by that power dynamic and by the way that that world works because you've never lived in another one. And like Shiv, who if I had to pick is probably one of my favorites. She's still kind of a shitty person, <laughs> and she still is. Like, she's yeah. still because she is she's never wanted for a thing in her entire life she's like never ever needed anything and she's always kind of just done what she had to do and that's just how she is and i think that what the show does a good job of and did with logan's death and with a couple episodes after is to, to try to humanize these people to then just turn around and like stab us in the heart and be like no they still suck like they're still terrible people yeah 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 even if you try to um empathize with them they're going to turn around and like quote unquote shiv you yeah well and it's the same thing you like know, every time of- that you see like all this awful research that fox news has been releasing on tucker carlson since they fired him you know trying to mm-hmm. be like well we fired him because he said this racist thing in a text message Bitch, he said so many worse things on his show. Like, are you serious? This was this was the thing. Who's buying this? Like, come yeah, on, Fox. like, like, guys. I don't know why you actually fired him, but everything that you've kind of tried to come up with, I can point to ten, ten different not, things that he said on his show that was significantly worse. I'm not buying anything Fox is selling, and I'm not buying any. Oh, did you hear that? Cusser Tucker Carlson is now trying to do a show. How do you monetize that? I have literally no idea how he's going to monetize that. Well, don't you have like tips and super tips and I stuff like that? that? Exists. I and don't think that exists You can have separate anymore. content on Twitter? I mean, if it does, I would really like to be tipped, but I don't think that it... 
I mean, it's certainly not going to pay him the money that he's going to he's because like he signed no. an, a, a long term agreement with Fox. So if he does this, he's going to be going back on his agreement with Fox. He's losing out on like fifty million dollars. Wow. Because it's a non compete, wow. right? He signed, I think, like a four year non compete. Yeah. So, but going uh-huh. back to succession, uh-huh. I think that like it, yeah. it, it really exemplifies our media world in that right wing organizations like Fox News are able to, because they did, they called the election in 2000 for Bush. They called Florida for Bush. And the person who called Florida for Bush, Bush's nephew. Right. No, his <laughs> no, it was his nephew who worked at CNN. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you talking about Mr. Pussy Grabber? I'm guy? talking about George George W. Bush in 2000 when he won the election. No, no, no. But, 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 no, no, no. But no, the, he didn't, um, I don't believe he did anything like that. No, but he was, he was, he worked okay. at CNN. No, that dude's access Hollywood. Yeah, sorry, no, sorry. that's different. Yeah. yeah, no, and he, yeah. oh yeah, I forgot that guy's related to them. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, but no, like it was, it was his nephew who worked at CNN, who was actually one of... <laughs> who talked about bushes. Oh yeah, that poor dude. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we the level of maturity of this podcast is incredible. <laughs> but like, I think that it's... we laugh so we it's don't true. cry, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the reality that we live in. Right, like that episode mm-hmm. was so because mm-hmm. I saw so many people tweet about how like someone tweeted like watching my emotional support billionaire family pick a fascist was very upsetting, and it's like, you know, I think that that that's more close to reality than anything else. Like, of course they're going to pick the person who's going to help them be in power the longest. And Kendall has no like no spine, so of course he ended up going that way. Like, fuck. yeah, wow. Was it once it ended up with Kendall, and once the betrayal was revealed, you knew where I'm he was very going. excited to see what's going to happen today. So am I, because Roman needs to give a speech, and you know how that goes. As long as Kendall doesn't rap. <laughs> So I I thought the show did an excellent job at exactly that, at showing how, like, the show really is good at picking up democracy and capitalism, I feel, just in general. Like, and in different ways, it picks at it in different ways. And it breaks your whole, like, you know, um, like, rainbow bright view of the world, the rose-colored glasses view of, democracy and capitalism and that's what i love about it and i think that is i think that's a value let's put it that i way. think that it it does a really good mm-hmm. job of showing us why these people are so seductive Ooh, explain so again like you know going back to roman roman is is a terrible human being and you see that throughout the entire series like he does awful Mm -hmm. shit and then you know like the way that they've the way kieran culkin deserves an emmy and if he doesn't get one i'm gonna rage he does deserve an emmy but you know like the the scene where he goes off on alexander six guard who oh i'm gonna i'm gonna go off on him um oh but the way oh. he speaks to him, Eric Northman. Yo, I know. Oh my god! But the way oh that he speaks to him god. in that scene, you can feel his heartbreak mm-hmm. and the way that that feels. And, Absolutely, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and does something terrible. And I think that that mm-hmm. is what what is so seductive about people in power is that they. It's not like they're not human beings, but their human their humanness gets kind of parked at the door when it comes to power. Right. And you see that with a lot of different people who are extremely successful and extremely rich who do good. Their good things aren't negated, but that doesn't mean that they they aren't capable of shitty things. And you see all these people who will like post, you know, for whatever day of the year it is to honor whatever marginalized group it is. And then you find out they don't pay their employees well enough or they. Absolutely. Or they actually mm-hmm. don't walk the walk. They just have a really good social media team. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in the first, 
I think it's the second season of, of Succession. Maybe it's the third. I can't remember. When Kendall becomes all like women's power and he's like, fuck the patriarchy and blah, blah. Fuck Kendall. I saw Kendall. Listen, from episode one, I'm like, this guy's so full of shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Is that like he's, he, he, he tags onto the Me Too stuff because of the stuff that happens on the uh, boats. And, but you realize he doesn't actually give a fuck about that. He's just using the Me Too stuff and the rapes on the yachts and to get to a place where he needs to get to. So he's using the fuck the patriarchy language to make sure that he's, he gets kind of cred within the community that he's looking to get it with. And people who are rich and people who are in positions of power do that all of the time. And I thought this show was really effective at showing that with Shiv when she went to that, a witness who was going to testify, who was a woman. Yes. Do you remember? Anyway, yeah. And so, and like basically, and intimidated her into not testifying and while she's you know while the company puts Shiv in the front to take the heat because she's a woman so I mean there's so many different layers of how we see this stuff play out that I I think you're absolutely right Kristen it is it does show that these people are seductive in a way, and we're so interested. It does, in and it actually does and, a better job than mm. previous HBO shows. So, as someone who is like a huge, huge Sopranos fan, I like I've watched right. that series from beginning to end probably fucking like six times. What what I feel like the show never it always made Tony sympathetic. Like even when he would do really terrible things. But, and so the, there was always a part of me that was like, oh, I like Tony Soprano. But then he would, like, go murder someone. I'd be like, oh, but, like, he had his reasons. Um, <laughs> you know, but but when you watch Succession, what Jesse Armstrong does is he doesn't let you look away from the shittiness of the characters. He doesn't take Absolutely. a moment, like, when Roman is like, fuck it, I'm going to pick this guy who I know is a fascist as the leader of the free world and I don't care and balance that out with like mm. him hugging a pony or something, which is what the Sopranos always did. Like if it was Tony did something awful, you know, like in one episode, he like beat someone head in with like a frying pan. And then in the next scene, he's like being, have, giving like a sweet lesson to his son. So they always bounce, but they don't right. do that in succession. They make you see it. No. And so it is an incredible essay on corporate greed, like you said, on on media and what media is and the way that like the people who report on the stories that matter to us in a lot of ways don't give a fuck about us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No offense Absolutely. to anybody from media listening. And I'm sure you yourself are lovely. Yes. Yes. But corporate interests don't give a fuck. Yeah. That is the 100%. point. 100%. That's why I'm saying they're like media's bias to the right, media's bias to the left, media is biased towards power and corporate yep. interests. They're biased towards their shareholders. Okay, that's what the media bias. Well, is. and I think you know, I I saw a certain um, former broadcaster today on Crier Media, <laughs> and he went on and on about how the National Post was comparable to the media that his grandparents had to be exposed to during the Holocaust. And I was like, I feel like that's not an accurate comparison. And the thing is, is like, is the National Post right-leaning? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I don't think that anybody would disagree that the National Post has a right-leaning bias. Their opinion writers deserve to get dragged all of the time, every day. I will drag Conrad Black, even though he has a great book vocabulary, but Conrad Black, Rex Murphy, like a lot of these fucking people, <laughs> like the shit they say. He does, actually, he does have quite an erudite Oh, he'd be so proud of you that. for using that word. 
Um, but like, but so like, but however, you then you go to CBC, and I can see why people on the right feel that there is a left wing bias during this election. As an example, I've seen a lot of like hit pieces on the UCP and on the right, but I have not seen a lot on issues around the NDP, of which there are some. So I think, no offense, Sam, mm. who works with CT, but there are there are issues on all sides. But to to go after right wing media and not acknowledge left wing media, I think is is also kind of you need to acknowledge that there's imbalance on both sides. Right wing media just like, has more no. money. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I feel like CBC is not left. This is, this is, I feel like the way we look at this in binaries is where we, is where nuance goes to die. Okay. CBC is very much, I feel like CBC is more liberal and the liberals aren't left no matter what anybody tells you. Because you look at their policies. All right. Well, I will say that what I meant specifically was in Alberta. CBC I will say this, CBC National, at least, is really crappy anywhere west of Timmins. Wait, or sorry, Sudbury, d- does it or... exist to CBC National? Because I wasn't aware that they knew that there were other provinces. <laughs> I don't think so. The entire Canada, it's Upper Canada. That is Canada. One, of, one of my favorite National. criticisms, like, I don't agree with her on almost anything, but, but Jenny That's Byrne... Great was mad at the CBC about like the Michael Chong interview. There was this understanding that he was going to go on that mm. got canceled. Yeah. And then she made the very valid point that instead of having him on, they spent a half an hour talking about like some celebrity in the United States and like U S news when Michael Chong. It, yeah. But when Michael, yeah. when, when, and this is what I find frustrating is that I do find that it's not just the CBC, but like the CBC, the national news network, I can turn it on and I will see them do an hour of stuff on American news when we have stories yes. throughout this country that matter. Absolutely. And that is very frustrating. Absolutely. It is. And okay. They did the same thing to Desmond, to Desmond, mm-hmm. to Desmond Cole. He was supposed to go on. And so they do that regularly. They do that. Well, and I just think like and so, they're supposed to be the national news broadcaster, and that's what Catherine Tate keeps going on about. And like, oh, you can't be mean to us, Pierre Polyev. We represent the entire country. No, you don't. No, you don't. You represent. You're becoming more clickbait as you go on. And Trump and Republicans and issues in the United States seems to be more important to you than what's going on in in across the country in our actual yeah, communities. Absolutely. I don't love CBC in ge- so like I'm not here to like CBC, you know, because they're not the same organization they were like when I was growing up for sure. And um, not to say that they have to be, but I think the ways in which they really they really were part of the culture. And I just don't know if they're there anymore. Yeah, I mean, like... I think I think a lot of the cuts that they made were a little bit too close to the bone. Well, I mean, I think for me, like, growing up on CBC, like, this says a lot of... But I hate watching national CBC news when I'm in Alberta. Because I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, and I mean, I think, like, they're used to... So I support everybody who thinks that they're biased regionally. They are. And there yeah. used to be a time where they weren't as much. So I'm just going to, going back mm. to the situation in Alberta right now with the fires, I will take it back mm. to one of my favorite moments on CBC, which stars an unlikely mm. hero, given how he has transformed, Rex Murphy. So when the fires happened in Fort McMurray, Goodbye. no, just listen. When, like, like, it's not that he doesn't suck in a lot of ways, but just let me tell this one story. And if you don't like it, Eric, we cut it. But in 2015, so before he became whatever the fuck he is now, he gave, he used to be on the national every week. I think he would be yeah. on the national. 
And in 2015, after the Fort McMurray fires, there were a lot of people who were basically like, why should I care about this? Why should this matter to me? A lot of people who weren't very big fans of the oil sands who would respond. And he gave a very impassioned, very sensitive, very kind, very good talk on the national about this is why this should matter to you. Alberta has been here for you. The oil sands has been here for you. We need you to be here for us now. And again, this is not excusing all of the other shit that he has done since that is the last time he did anything reasonable. But that is one of the last times I remember the CBC is a national news organization talking about issues that affected Alberta in a way that sounded like it came from someone who actually understood our province because of the way he spoke about it, because of the compassion and the way that he spoke about Fort McMurray as a community and what that meant to the community. Because you're talking about thousands of people who are coming back and their houses were gone. And the last thing they needed was to come online and see people being like, well, fuck you. That's what you get for working in the oil sands. Oh, so the context was that people were like, well, fuck you then because yes. you work in the oil sands. So yes. go fuck and yourself. His, his speech. And like mm. I said, this is the last time I've ever agreed with anything he said was. People in Fort McMurray and the oil sands in and of themselves have contributed this much to the national economy. They have been there for you. Please be there for them. And. Well, I don't. Here's my I, thing. I don't understand people. Like, how are you going to come in uh, in something so tragic and be so cruel? Why is the cruelty? It happens the all the time. And I and, know. But I'm just saying, well, well, I could tell you where it's definitely happening now with Jordan Neely. Okay. The kid that yeah. was was killed murdered by this this transit rider and everybody's like he deserved everything well not everybody but he deserved what he got and i'm like what what yeah you know i just don't i don't get that love i just don't get it like i don't wish i don't wish like suffering no and i mean i think that like well Unless, the, well, there are exceptions <laughs> but, to everything. But I think, but, you know, I think that, like, you know. that was the dynamic, though, and there is that dynamic around mm. Fort Murray, especially because, I mean, the concept of it being the tar sands, and it's this, and it's that. And so there was a lot of, and Rex Murphy, for whatever reason, like, maybe, yeah, oh, and he, point. so he said, so he says <laughs> this thing. And, and I remember, and uh, Rick Mercer did something quite similar around the same mm. time. And I remember watching both of those and thinking, like, I feel myself reflected in my national broadcaster. But I did. But it's been a long time since then. And I don't see that as frequently now because it's more like you you platform someone who's either hardcore. I love oil and gas, oil and gas forever. Right. Or oil and gas for never. And a lot of us don't sit on those extremes. But that's why it's so important to have those. And I know it's difficult to have nuanced conversations. Don't get me wrong on media. Da, 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 da. But I just think the media is so friggin' lazy with that, with the way they they structure yeah. and and form these conversations. It's always like it's always like crossfire. I feel like the crossfire model is what media is now and i it's not well it's especially and it's not one it's easy to be lazy when you have nobody from the community reflected in the conversation that you're having you know yeah right i I mean i'm not telling yeah i was gonna as i was saying (laughs) it yeah yeah, yeah. no 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 but you bring up a good point and i i think it's fair um to you know like i mean even chris brown had a good song yeah i'm just saying that there are there's there are moments chris brown was chris yeah forever is a good song um i'm just saying whatever song it is like but and that's and that's and that's fair like i i and then rex murphy became i don't know what the fuck happened to him because this was i think he has i don't think he's had a glass of water in 10 years like he looks desiccated 
Do you, like he just doesn't look like he's hydrated. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> he's unmoisturized. Like yeah, he's unmoisturized. He doesn't have, doesn't need water. Like <laughs> like you know, at least when Conrad Black writes something insane, he writes it with so much beautiful words that you're just like, I don't even understand half of what you said. I need to get a thesaurus. Like I can't be mad right away. Okay, let's not. But again, you know what's funny about Connor Black? No, no, I don't no, want to know. That one moment, briefly, where he was like, "Hey, you know what sucks? People who are incarcerated for no reason and stay in jail for too long." And then he got out and completely forgot about that thing. A thing he cared about. Oh yeah, he Bri- did do yes. that, didn't he? Yes, he was all about inmates' rights. Briefly. Yes. Oh my god. He met god. with Kim Kardashian. You're right. Where was I? He did he met with her? He was he he helped fund her campaign to get that woman out of jail. That woman that she got out of jail who was like sixty five years old or something. Wait a minute! Shut the front door. Yeah, he gave serious? her money. He he like hung out with her and Kanye West. Okay, today I learned. Today I even the learned. shittiest people have moments. And with that, we will see you next time. Now, we will be, um, we will not be having a misogynist of the week this week. Uh, as I said, I will be flying to Alberta and we are going to bring you some coverage from the Alberta election. All right, everybody, stay safe and protect your Bye. Peace. My bitch is bad and bullshit.